out and turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, and then we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 5, I'll read two things briefly, Second Corinthians chapter 5, and then Hebrews chapter 5. I'll pray first. Lord, I um, ask that you tend to us in this uh, time of uh, preaching and teaching. I pray that that we would benefit from your truth, your word, and that my preparations um, will benefit this body in Jesus' name, amen. So 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15 says, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And then Hebrews chapter 5 I'm going to read verses 11 through 14. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You may be seated. I had a couple of other passages in there. And... um, I didn't read them because I just couldn't preach on them. I, I had four little compartments I wanted to preach on. This is called uh, positive amillennialism, some implications. I had four subjects or topics that have gone down to two because I was just really wanting to put too much into the sermon. And so the other couple or few I'll do next time. I want to start with a, a pretty important paragraph that I think most of you hopefully have come to terms with, at least where I come from, on the issue of the future, and then I'll get into the two topics. The church and the kingdom of God remain upon the earth, hear that, until until the Lord's second coming. We're here till he comes. At that time, the resurrection of all the dead will take place, and we will come before the judgment seat of Christ. There will be no escapist rapture event prior to a time of tribulation as the premillennial dispensationalist is eager to tell you. What's more... There was never meant to be a cardboard, literalistic, 1,000-year rule of Christ on the earth. The thousand years is a symbol the Lord showed to John in Revelation 20, 
It was a picture of everlasting time. Jesus is ruling over an everlasting kingdom, and he rules now. He has been since his ascension. Now we live between the two advents, his first coming and his second coming. And he has been putting enemies under his feet this whole time while Christians spread the good news of him throughout the earth. Things have improved over time. Whole nations have submitted, but there have been times nations go backwards. Ultimately, however, all things will improve until he returns. Then the age of Messiah will be complete. All right, so here are the two things I want to discuss in regard to this. If this be true, so what? How should we then live? A lot of this is going to seem like I'm reading because I will be reading. First part, God has called each of us to take dominion and make the earth better. This is true of all mankind, of course, but especially true for the Christian who has been given eyes to see and ears to hear. Matthew 13, 16. Paul wrote a second letter to the Corinthians, and this is what he said in the letter. I read it a second ago, that Jesus died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. This is how we make the earth better, by living for him and no longer for ourselves. The non-believer doesn't get it yet. Jesus tells his disciples, we should not go about life like the Gentiles, who at the time were considered the non-believers, as nations without God. We should go, not go about life like the Gentiles, busying ourselves with food and shelter and bill-paying and money-making and silo-building. But, he told them, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. So your focus must be upon his use of you. What does he want of you? How should you go about life to improve it? For you... Each day should get spent taking dominion for the kingdom. And when your life is over, may they find you lying exhausted in the field of play with a smile of contentment on your face. Whether you became penniless or prosperous, for that is not the measure 
of your success. For Paul, living between the advents, like us, for Paul, his life looked like this at times, at times. He fought with beasts at Ephesus, 1 Corinthians 15.32. He endured persecution and afflictions at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, 2 Timothy 3.10-11. He was hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. In stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, etc. He persisted. 2 Corinthians, two sections. And Paul warned the Corinthians in that first Corinthians chapter 15 that I preached on last time. He warned the Christians in Corinth to awaken themselves. Awaken themselves from their stupor. And that they're not to live by the principles of the unbelieving world. A world that does not, a world that does not hold to a future resurrection and judgment. A world that does, does not accept that Jesus Christ rules from his Father's right hand. A world, therefore, that says, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. No, Paul, he risked his own safety. And though you and I maybe we're not going to face some of the same difficulties Paul faced, some of the same mistreatments that he had gone through, still his willingness to leave it on the field is something we should copy. As Christians, we have to be willing to uh, take the sword of the Word of God with us as we take dominion or invest in our various callings. Paul wondered out loud in his letter to the Corinthians, he says in essence, if Jesus is not ruling, and the dead are not raised, then go ahead. Live for yourself. Eat, drink, and have your fun. Do what you want, really. It doesn't matter. You might as well indulge in whatever sin turns you on. If the dead are not raised, then there is no forgiveness, no need for a gospel, no need for a savior and king. It's no use. course, Paul's implication was, if the dead are raised, and he wasn't questioning it, but he was humoring them, if the dead are raised, then you best spend the capital of your life for Jesus. Aslan is on the move, and he reigns now. And it's incredible, really, what the apostles were called to do for the kingdom. 
Well, you and I, are we to take it easy then? Considering all the benefits we have reaped that were sown by the apostles and other dutiful believers over the past past 2,000 plus years, are we to let it all go? God forbid. Rather, we get to add to the foundation. But it means that we cannot live as if sin never happened. Sin changed it all. In responsible people, they see the need to abolish sin and restore the earth under Christ's rulership. Responsible people see that. And this involves, of course, those responsible people making judgments. And sometimes people, they don't want to be viewed as someone who makes judgments. Of course, sometimes we can make judgments like self-righteous jerks. We needn't have any of that. Jesus' kingdom, it should be at the forefront of our dominion tasks. Responsible people do not simply eat, drink, work, play, and die. But they take on the challenges of godly dominion. Now you may ask, must I always carry this load Isn't there any reprieve? Well, first, let me suggest Jesus said that his burden is light. And he's really the one doing all the renewal work. You just have to be willing to to speak up and not be ashamed of him. And secondly, it is a lifetime responsibility. I'm going to paint the picture for you here. Picture this, right? Paul's in prison, the Apostle Paul, but he's under house guard, and his long, longtime disciple, Timothy, has come to visit him. And the two men sit and ponder over all that God has brought them through. It's been difficult kingdom work, but meaningful. And Timothy says to Paul, Yes, I'm looking at 14 months. Paul catches his breath. You know, he's thinking, Timothy, what? Has he received some prophetic, prophetic word to predict his future of arrest and, and execution? So he asks, what do you mean? And Timothy answers, then I'm out. I'm retiring. Rachel and I are moving up north near the kids. I'm going to buy a lake property and a boat, and then I'll finally get to fish. I've waited for this for so long, I figured I put in my years kingdom building, and, and now I get to retire, to eat out, do some hobbies, take walks, 
And as long as these weary eyes hold out, I think I'm going to build myself a boatload of jigsaw puzzles. Oh, you can be sure I'll keep busy. Paul pauses. It's just like his mind is reeling as he's listening to Timothy. He thinks back upon the years he, he had invested in younger Timothy. The years Timothy, Timothy's mother and aunt invested in him. The years Timothy himself spent working for the church and the kingdom. Finally, Paul looks to the soldier and says, you can kill me now. You can kill me now. This is not us, I hope, Elto CRC. Uh, we are willing to take the, the trowel and do the building and the sword and stand for what's right. As people fulfilling the dominion mandate of Genesis, we should be counted really as the very best achievers in our daily work as office clerks, farmers, bankers, governors, teachers, waitresses, whatever. You should excel in your task as a lab technician, a grandmother, a carpenter, a physicist. This, this is to take the trowel and to build a better world. But we know it's not enough to build a world. We must participate in its renewal by declaring God's original design. You represent God each day. You, you go to work willing to share, what, his commentary within your community, your community of coworkers, in your customer relationships. And you, you even speak his word to those under whom he's placed you. You go to work to perform diligently and skillfully because you belong to Jesus. You, you must pursue excellence in your craft. Be like George Washington Carver. That man always impressed me. He was a Christian, American, agricultural scientist, inventor. He promoted alternative crops to cotton and methods to prevent soil depletion because that was a problem. He was a professor at Tuskegee Institute. He wanted poor farmers to begin growing crops such as peanuts and sweet potatoes as a source for their own food and to improve the quality of life and the quality of the soil. He wrote 44 practical bulletins for farmers that contained 105 food recipes using peanuts. There's a guy who's poured himself into what God gave him to do. Abraham Kuyper, a Christian who became the prime minister of the Netherlands between 1901 and 1905. Kuyper was an influential Calvinist theologian and a journalist. He established the Reformed churches in the Netherlands, 
which upon its foundation became the second largest Calvinist denomination in the country behind the state-supported Dutch Reformed Church. In addition, he founded the Vrash University of Amsterdam, which is now internationally renowned for its research, the Anti-Revolutionary Party, and a newspaper, Abraham Kuyper. God intends to utilize you. And you don't know where he plans to take you. So don't determine, listen to this, don't determine the amount of effort you put into your employment by your love of your employment, by your love of the thing, or, or whether you're disinterested in the profession. Don't determine your effort based upon your current emotional place. I tell you firsthand, God made you for his purposes, not your own. And you may be doing that thing for a very long time. Do it well. And you will learn in life how a person can begin to cut hair in the college dormitory for his buddies just to gain some extra money. And he might, he, he might not much like it, but he does it. Yet he doesn't realize until later on that God placed him in the earth to be a barber for 35 years. That's how it works sometimes. It is for this reason, Paul writes, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Also, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So I went to college to become a teacher. I went to college before I had really become a Christian. I was there and I became a Christian. After college, I worked a couple of odd jobs, then I taught in a Christian elementary school for about five years, I think it was. Then I became a salesman. I think sales is teaching too. Along the way, I, I'll confess, I wanted to do a good job, but mostly I worked for the money for my family. It wasn't about the work, it was about the money. I was not always diligent. And I'm not sure that I thought much of it I would consider a calling. And after taking a pastorate here in Alto, I, I originally thought that those previous years, all those previous years, were mostly preparatory for this. I don't think that way anymore. All of those years mattered at the time. And my eyes should have been more open. Things 
became clearer to me when I started the business in 2006, then it made sense to me. I was selling again in the same industry. And yes, it does all matter in that, in that sense. It's all important. But I could have been further along had I learned it was all important when I was doing those things and didn't like them so much. In all of life, God wants you to work heartily as for him. Recently, I, I wrote, you know, the first of two books, I, I, I'm thinking, on Christian salesmanship. I, I call, I'm calling it the Christian salesman in the Ten Commandments. It's my attempt to try to apply God's standards to the vocation I've spent many years in. I want to tell you, giving giving yourself to work is not bad. It is his design. He made us for work. And if properly done, it is divinely, divinely sanctioned and satisfying. We need not feel guilty for it as if we are not seeking Christ's kingdom somehow. It's just the opposite. The person who wishes to run from his daily job and become someone in full-time ministry, please notice the air quotes, that one, that person, is more often missing the whole point of Christ's kingdom. Your work is full-time ministry already. We mustn't compare good intentional work, good intentional work to the charge of us being Martha, Martha. That's not what you're doing. Martha, Martha. And, and, and the full-time ministry person is the Mary. That's not, that's not it at all. Also, I, I think there is a difference between particular callings and general callings. Particular callings are different for different people. One might be a movie actor, or another might be a police officer, one Woman might design a clothing line, the next might teach accounting. Those are particular callings. However, general callings, they kind of fall more under the institutions. Everybody's got to do them. For example, we are all children of our parents, and there are responsibilities to honor them as parents. Many women are wives and many men are husbands. There are responsibilities that go along with that. You cannot free yourself from those things. There there are duties involved. Some are called to be single. Some are called to be office bearers like elders and deacons. Some are elected aldermen to represent a district in a city or in a county or at the state and federal level while others of us are church members or citizens or whatever. 
those are general callings for which we must all play our parts. Further, we don't give up our particular callings for our general callings and vice versa unless, listen to this, okay, unless the general calling need is so dire that it becomes for us our particular calling too. Okay? You're going to have to listen to this sermon again. I'm going to just say that right out. You're going to have to listen to it again. Let me say it again. We don't give up our particular callings for our general callings and vice versa, unless the general calling need is so dire that it becomes for us our particular calling too. The general calling can trump the particular calling. In other words, if the need of the hour is for consistent presence in the pulpit or at the pastor's desk, then that man should be paid to keep him focused on it. If a man becomes severely handicapped, it may require his wife to quit work to be home with him, or just the opposite. Maybe she needs to go and get this particular job now. If an aging parent needs you to care for them in their old age, then this may cause one spouse to quit from the workplace to be in the home. Because general callings, you cannot get away from those responsibilities. The point is, our general callings are plain and obvious, and we know we must be responsible in them, whereas particular callings are not as easily determined. You can give up working the counter at the dime store. You should not give up your children. That's the first part. The idea of callings and taking dominion in Christ's name. Second part plays upon this a little bit. We need to bring God's word into the complexities of our callings. And this requires our minds to be transformed first. Then to transform, transform the work into which God puts us. First, we got to be transformed. Then we can transform. It's then that we can be the Christian teachers of our industry. So what do you do for a living? One is a carpenter. Another is a musician. A third is a physicist. Have you ever noticed, though, the specialized language that's used in every profession? Consider these words. Think in your head, what profession is this? Words like exhibit, rebuttal, motion, bench, adjournment, deposition, litigation. Who uses words like those? That's lawyer jargon, lawyer jargon. They're words of the legal profession. But they get much more difficult than that. Arbitration, escrow, bifurcation, quash, de novo, sanction, malum and say. 
If you find yourself, okay, though, in the legal profession, if that's what God has called you to, then you should learn the words of your calling. There is a body of knowledge with words that were invented or discovered by people over time to communicate that body of knowledge. And Christ wants the words that steer the legal profession to be true and to honor Him. Sometimes men, we got this way of coming up with words and concepts that steer things away from Him. Where's the Christian at those times? Are they there? Here's another body of words. Deflation, depreciation, liquidity, privatization, property tax, monopoly, supply, demand, barter, capitalism, socialism, commodity, debt. They're common words in the body of knowledge built by economists. Getting deeper into that, you might need to learn the meaning of terms like dividend signaling, capacity utilization, externalities, flat rate, flat rate tax, general equilibrium, microeconomics, retained earnings. Now you say, as do I, I hardly know what any of these words mean. That's understandable. For not too many of us are lawyers or economic, uh, economists. We were called to other areas of dominion. Of course, it doesn't mean that, that the knowledge contained in these fields are off limits to you. And as Lydia showed yesterday, if you watch the right TV shows, you learn what a lot of those words mean if you watch. What is the word show you watched again? Yeah, some... Some doctor show, if you watch a court show. It just means you have to study to learn. It also does not mean the words represent God's goodness. Just because, listen, just because a thing is a thing, that, that drives me nuts. It's a thing. Just because a thing is a thing does not make it acceptable to Jesus Christ. It doesn't make it an acceptable thing. This is why Christians, we got to master the knowledge of our industries. It's so, they can, so that we can introduce and correct concepts, correct concepts and, and destroy uh, strongholds and, and build properly. If, if we're not in these industries at the utmost levels of understanding then who's going to steer the ship? It is as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5 through 6, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. You know, and you hear these words and you think, oh, who needs all that? Don't think that way. It's wonderfully apparent that the deeper mankind gets into God's things and uncovers latent potential, 
the more precise his words become and the greater the vocabulary develops around that industry. We mustn't be lazy-minded people. Let me say that again eight times. We mustn't be lazy-minded people. The Christian mind must be actively transforming itself in order to see things as God sees them, and especially as it pertains to the profession or calling in which it takes dominion. What is the language of your area of dominion? Gap of Security Solutions kind of swims in two industries, and they seem to be converging into one. The one industry is doors and door hardware. The other is security systems. So simple industry jargon include words like finish, backset, latch, strike, hinge, closing speed, pin segments, master keying, interchangeable core, levers, video management system, card access, fobs, keypads, hardware specification, and so on. Those are kind of simple words. Whereas the deeper words represent details and concepts that a novice wouldn't first know. Words like analytics and infrared and RQE, back check, preload, reverse upon obstruction, masking, encoder, encryption. You get the point. Add acronyms, add acronyms to your field's vocabulary, and it's hard to tell you're even speaking English. I was listening to a podcast in regard to our industry yesterday, I didn't even know what they were talking about because all they were talking about was, was in acronyms. It's like, i got to look these things up. We have an, a, an electronic specialist working for the company who has an appetite for the knowledge of our industry. He helps spearhead the company by regularly signing up for virtual seminars, attending events, reading, researching products, etc., He's taken us deeper. He's taken us deeper. I give him credit for concepts and words I've learned as a result. We know more. Look, Christian, you've got, you've got to invest yourself in the body of knowledge where God has placed you so that you can properly build according to God's standards for your industry's sake. Not only the legal profession and economics and the security industry, but science, medicine, politics, engineering, even sales and marketing all have words that mean something. They all contain concepts in which a word was attached to the concept. And the challenge is for the church with its victorious. Okay, stop there. If, if we believe it's all going down the toilet, don't waste your time on any of this. But if we think things are supposed to be getting better in time, then we better start investing life in these things. They all contain concepts in which a word was attached, and the challenges for the church with its victorious all-encompassing eschatology to invest itself 
and to help define these complex words in the various fields. The Christian mind must steer the pursuit of knowledge. Otherwise, the godless mind will create the words and take them directions they ought not to go. They will tower of babble a whole industry like we've seen occur in education, in the media, and so many other places as of late. Do not just work for money, work for God. Do not give in to a life of ease and excuse a lazy mind. Learn the words of your industry. Invest yourself in the body of knowledge that exists for the for the thing you regularly put your hands to do. Don't determine your effort by your love or disinterest in your profession. I tell you firsthand, God made you for his purposes, not your own. Remember someone might be grudgingly cut hair in college, but become a lifelong barber. Work as unto the Lord. Not done yet. Vocabulary grows in areas of the non-professional callings too. Consider the words of a homemaker. We will all recognize these words, I think, for we all participate in the home. Words like meals, laundry, dry cleaning, planting, sewing, mending, budgets, ledger, Sweeping, dusting, teaching, training, bedrooms, dining room, bathroom, harvest, canning, painting, recycling, etc. But there are deeper words for the more sophisticated and seasoned homemaker. Words like need and brine and seed germination testing and propagation and fluff and whisk and baste and bind. We might not recognize those words. For sure, I don't know how to do any of those. But in my house, they say I don't know how to do laundry either. I do. You just throw the clothes in and pour the powdery stuff in that thing and you turn it on. I've seen it happen. It's natural that the more time and effort spent in your dominion work, the better, the better you will learn the language of specialization. There is already a body of knowledge made up of words. Walk into it. You should learn it. And as a Christian, you should help steer the body of knowledge Godward. You cannot tolerate words that manipulate or construct the body of knowledge into another tower of Babel. Your profession needs to, it needs you to demolish strongholds and every pretense that stands against God. One more thing. I'm almost done now, but this should wake you up. To be prepared to enter your field and be an effective ambassador of Jesus Christ, you must know theology. You must have studied God and his word for yourself. This is a general calling 
requirement. And as you well know, theology has its own language developed over the course of time, and there are levels of deeper words. Furthermore, each of you are a theologian. One who studies the things of God. And I tell you, you must not desire simple words only. And let me say that again. You must not desire simple words only. For simple words can only communicate simpler concepts. To attempt to use simple words to communicate deep concepts requires the teacher to use many, many words. Furthermore, the hearer does not learn the more complex words unless the teacher uses them and explains them. Even some basic theological words that I've mentioned from the pulpit within the last month, like eschatology, premillennialism, amillennialism, postmillennialism, omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence, these words you should know. You should know them. Unless you're a child or brand new to the faith, these words should be part of your vocabulary. Yet too many people in the American pew of the 21st century, they don't want to have to work for knowledge. They don't want it. They don't want to have to, to sweat. They would sooner leave a church to find someone who speaks with simple words than listen to a sermon once or twice or more and maybe ask the pastor questions or look things up in a dictionary. I fear we will not conquer for Christ in our callings if we don't strive to know God's will from his word and the pulpit. This is a dilemma that occurred among the apostles, too. And as I read in Hebrews earlier, he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Okay. Train yourself in the things of God. Christian, become mature in your thinking, for then you will be equipped to improve your industry and make the world better. Let us pray. Lord, I pray and ask that this is not fallen on deaf ears at all, but um, if we did not pick up on it, that your people here would be invigorated to listen again and again and ask the questions. Lord, make us real movers and shakers for your kingdom in our different callings. In Jesus' name.